As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I think one of the most important ways that you can feel confident, Joe, is not to be really great at something but is to deep down inside believe that you will find a way. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, Just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, Sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip, and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and we only talk about the best real estate investing advice that moves your real estate business forward. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Happy Saturday. And because it's Saturday, we're doing a special segment called Situation Saturday that we usually do on Saturdays. And the whole purpose is to help you and I learn from others' experiences. That's the purpose. And so how we structure it is our best ever guest is going to tell us a story about a sticky situation they were in and what they learned from it, how they overcame it, so that, again, when we come across that situation or something similar to that situation, we know how the heck to handle it. With us to share that sticky situation, how you doing, Rock Thomas? 
I'm doing really great, Joe. Great to be on the show with you. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. Nice to have you back. And if you want to hear Rock's previous episode, then go listen to it after this one. It's episode 314 titled How to Find a Millionaire Mentor to Guide Your Real Estate Investing Career. He has four Keller Williams franchises. He has over 330 realtors selling over $1 billion annually within those franchises. He's increased sales and revenue every year for many, many years. At the time I wrote this, it was 17 years in a row. I'm sure it's 18 years in a row now. He's the author of The Power of Your Identity. He's also working on a new book coming out this fall. Right now it's titled Your Success Blueprint. Go to his website, opt into his email newsletter. I've gotten a lot of value from it. And then you'll be updated when that new book comes out. That being said, Rock, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then we'll get into the sticky situation. The interesting thing is that I think we're all trying to get the same end result in life, which is to be really successful with the least amount of effort and also to be happy in the process. And my experience after studying the most successful people on the planet is that you'd have to be an idiot not to notice patterns and commonalities that people who are getting what they want, and whether you want to be fit or you want to be financially free, you want to be the best real estate in the world, there's a formula that allows you to get consistent results. And it's remarkable to me, Joe, how people don't really spend much time trying to figure out what that formula is. They just stick with what they know and they're frustrated why they don't get exponential results. So my hobby is studying successful people and helping them get those amazing results. Okay, sounds good. And a lot of that, I suspect, comes from your work with the Tony Robbins organization. I, I'm picking up on some keywords that you're mentioning that I've heard through the Tony Robbins program going to the seminars. And you told us some really cool stories about your experience with Tony and how you're on an exercise machine. And he's like, I still think of this every time I exercise, by the way. Anyone can do anything for at least one minute. I remember you saying that in the last episode, and I always think that whenever I'm doing certain things. Now, sticky situation, my friend. What do you got? First of all, Joe, that is amazing with all the cool people you interview that you remember that one thing. I'm very, very super impressed. You're an amazing student and an amazing listener. So tip my hat to you, buddy. That's really impressive. Hey, you said something that really resonated with me. And I, I, it's so funny. Yeah, I, I always remember that I, when I'm working out or whenever I'm doing something where I'm just kind of pushing myself. So I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, on that note, Joe, I'd like to say that most people don't spend much of time to the nuances or the distinctions in life, just like you did. And, you know, the story I have for you about what happened to me and how I turned it around is really a story about belief. And belief is a feeling of certainty. And I think one of the most important ways that you can feel confident, Joe, is not to be really great at something but is to deep down inside believe that you will find a way. And when you have that conviction, the opponents will always present themselves. There's always three opponents, by the way. There's the internal, the external, and the intimate. The internal is our own voice, which we have to deal with every day. The external is your competition, or what I'm going to talk to you about today, where my wife didn't come home with a car, and I had a listing appointment I had to get to, and I had an external opponent that became a problem, and then, of course, there's the intimate, and that's when people that love you 
question your purpose and drive. They almost want to hold you back because they're concerned about you being hurt. But what they're really doing is they don't want to be left behind. And that's probably for another show. But anyway, I want to talk to you about a day early in my career when I finally had a listing appointment with these people who were going to sell their home and they were going to buy an upgraded big home. And the, together, the combined commission was probably around $35,000, which to me was like a third of my best year ever. So it was huge. If you could imagine the anxiety I was feeling in making this work. My wife's out calling her on her cell phone. She doesn't answer. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? I've got to get to this appointment and I have no way. I have a one-year-old daughter. I have external opponents and I've got to find a way. It's not going to not happen. It will happen. And I have a talk called how to make it happen no matter what. Partially the formula for this, Joe, is you've got to be committed and creative. You must deep down in your heart believe you're MacGyver. You're the guy, the girl, who's going to find a way no matter what. There is no plan B. There is no failure. You will find a way. You don't need to know how. It doesn't matter. It's like imagine picking up your kids at school and your car breaks down. You don't go, oh, well, I guess I'll pick them up tomorrow. You call a cab. You hitchhike. You flag somebody down. You call a friend, but you make it happen. So... It's crucial because for you, the consequences of not doing it were imminent and grave and disastrous. And that's what it was like for me. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that situation, you have to ask yourself a great question. Any guess at what that question might be, Joe? Uh, when you're in this situation, ask yourself, how have other people accomplished this in the past? That is a very good question. I have my favorite question is what's great about this? And what it does is it directs your focus to resources versus non-resources. It's really easy in life to focus and say, you know what, damn, life's happening to me. And I can't believe my wife isn't answering her phone and play into the victim role. And that's fine for a second, maybe. You got to go into resourcefulness. And I mean, imagine a top player in the NBA or something like that. If something goes against them, the basketball doesn't go in, do you think they go and sulk on the bench or do they gather themselves and say, what's great about this? How do I come back in full force? So I'm there and I'm like, what's great about this? And my mind goes, absolutely nothing. This is crazy. I'm going to miss this appointment. I go, well, what could be great about this? And I go, well, there could be a way for you to figure this out. So I went and ran to my neighbor, convinced him to stay with my daughter, jumped on my bike in a three-piece suit back in those days. Yes, we did wear three-piece suits. And I biked with my briefcase, hid my bike in the bushes, wiped the sweat off my brow, walked up to the door and acted like everything was normal. Knocked on the door, went in. And because I was so highly motivated, I'm like, I'm not going to do all this and not get the appointment. Got the appointment, sold him the house, sold him another home. And at the end of the day, you can choose to focus on what's a resource that's possible, or you can play the victim. And I say to people, ask yourself a better question. How can I make this happen? And like you said, Joe, who else has done this? What would they have done? And you will find yourself getting the result that you need to get. You will grow a new creative muscle. I'm telling you that there's probably nothing more valuable than having what I call uptime. Is the time when you're on point, when you're making things happen versus downtime when you're playing the victim. And if you measure those two variables, Joe, against successful people, 
successful people have tons of uptime and very little downtime. And you start to master that, your life will change dramatically. How do you condition your mind to ask the question, what's great about this? Well, there's different ways. You can put an elastic band around your wrist and every time you find yourself going unresourceful, snap it. I've created wristbands that have what's great about this on it. So that's one way. The other way is just to decide that your life is going to be epic and that you're not going to play the victim. I was at a Tony Robbins event and I realized that one of my patterns was to feel sorry for myself. And I probably adopted it from my environment, maybe my parents, I don't know who, I'm not going to blame anybody, but I was exposed to that pattern. And when I identified that, I developed a habit that every time I was going to go into feeling sorry for myself and going into passive aggressive, I would snap out of it by jumping up in the air and saying, what's great about this? So I used a physical anchor to snap myself out of an old behavior as we say, is motion is created by emotion and physiology first. If you can't get your mind to go where you want to go, get your body to go there and your mind will follow. For anyone who hasn't been exposed to you know, some of the teachings and seminars that you've been immersed in and that I've come across but not been immersed in as nearly as much, because we're talking psychology, and basically you outlined a, a sticky situation that can be swapped in and out and you gave the psychology for how to handle whatever you put in place of that situation, which is great. I love it. But for anyone who hasn't had this type of training, how does someone start the journey on learning this type of psychology and mind training? Well, you know, you got to model other people. If you were to spend a week with Olympic athletes, you would all of a sudden absorb whole bunch of things, the way they eat, the way they sleep. It's monkey see, monkey do. So if you're not around people that are habitually resourceful, like I have a mastermind group called GoBundance and M1 March to a Million where I habitually hang around other people who make great decisions, who have meditation routines, who make deals with other people, but they do it effectively. They play and work. So I absorb their empowering behavior. So if you're somebody that is struggling with getting things done and getting the results that you want, the first thing you have to do is you have to change your environment. Why? Environment stronger than willpower. Even if you go and read a book and, and get all these ideas and you go back to your negative environment, you're going to jump up and go, what's great about this? Somebody's going to go, why are you being an idiot? I work out in airports. I do lunges. I do push-ups. I do all kinds of stuff. And I've stopped looking at people's reaction to me because it's disempowering. I just put my headset on and I do my thing. Why? Because I have a standard for my physical life. I have a standard for how I'm going to live my life. And if I base it off of the feedback of what other people are thinking, my standards, is it going to go up or is it going to go down? It's going to go down for sure because most people live a very average to comfortable life. So number one is you got to change your environment. Number two, get a coach, get a mentor, get somebody that will hold you to a standard. And number three, and maybe the most important in reverse order, Joe, is you have to decide, and that's where we say, you know, it's not the power of what, it's the power of why. Why is your life going to be epic? And if you don't have a big reason, then you won't want to snap out of it. You'll go, oh, you know what? I'll change the appointment for tomorrow. For me, Rock Thomas, when he says something's going to happen, it's going to freaking happen or I'm going to die. That's what I stand for. And when you decide that that's what you stand for, if that's what you want to stand for, maybe you don't want to. 
But if you want to make stuff happen, there's a saying from one of my mentors, how you do anything is how you do everything. You got to decide your standards are going to be mega high. You're going to lead an epic life. You're going to make stuff happen. You're going to find the resources to habitually do it. And when you do all of those things, it becomes your new identity and it becomes your new normal and it becomes natural. Is it safe to say that you've evolved over time, over the last 15 years or so? Absolutely. Incredibly. Are you married? I'm currently not. Okay. When you said working out in the airport, that really triggered with me because on my last trip to Mexico, I remember seeing a woman who admittedly I thought was a little loony doing these exercises in the airport. And I'm wondering, the people she's with, are they embarrassed by it? And if so, then she's got to be picking up that vibe because I hear you say, and again, it's not just airport example, it's just in general things, but I hear you say you put your headset in and you tune it out. But those who are closest to you, when you do wacky stuff, and perhaps it's not wacky, perhaps it is, but some perceive it to be, it's very difficult to have those closest to you be the ones who are like, oh, this is pretty out there. How do you reconcile that? You just pick a different peer group or is there a way to bring others in with you? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really, there's two sides to that story. When you understand the human needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and Tony does the six human needs, you understand that you can get significance and a, a need for importance by a tattoo or by wearing cool clothes or by being somebody that knows about opera singers or whatever. I choose to get significance by being incredibly fit. So I just say, you know what? I'm different right now by doing my 100 push-ups in the airport. And people are probably looking at me going, who is that guy? Well, why is he, you know, and deep down inside, I hallucinate whether it's true or not, that they want to be joining me. They really do want to move their body. And they're thinking it's probably a good idea. But their old little voice and pattern is saying something like, well, that looks silly, or I'd be sweating, or, you know, he's showing off or whatever. But I use it as being unique. So it, it motivates me. But I give you an example as far as what you talk about a peer group and about do you change your peer group? I was recently in Greece and I was at this event where there was 400 people. And when I go to an event, it's, it's usually a lot of energy, etc. So I decided with a buddy of mine that we were going to do as many push-ups as we could that day during the seminar. There's a ton of seminar. You could go to the back of the room or side of the room and you could actually sit, lie down, work out. Kind of like a Tony Robbins event. Anyway, so we had a challenge to do 1,000 that day. So we started doing them in bursts of 25, and he joined me. We went to the back of the room, and at one point in time, talk about peer group, eight people joined us, eight of us at the back of the room doing push-ups, including the next speaker wired up with her mic right beside me and fired up. So when you're in the right environment and you choose to step up and do something really cool, then people will jump on board. If you're not in that environment, you got to have an internal voice that empowers you like I talked about at the beginning. And that's how I do it. Earlier, you mentioned that when I say it will happen, then it will happen or I will die. And I wrote that down because that's a pretty bold statement. So the question becomes in my mind, how do you create the goals that everybody says to create, which are realistic but yet right outside of your reach and if you don't reach them then in your case you're going to kill yourself 
So you might not be speaking literally, but I'm sure you connect your emotions that way. So it's it, it you're wiring yourself. So you, there is a hey, I'm going to make it happen. But there's got to be goals that you've created based on how much of an achiever you are that you haven't achieved and that you likely won't achieve. So how do you reconcile that? Well, I have two categories for that. Once I commit to create a goal, it will happen. Or in my mind, there's no plan B, the, the bridges are burned, the boats are burned, or I will die. And I achieve almost every single goal that I want. In the un- unlikely event that there's an obstacle or one of the three opponents I talked about before that is more worthy than I thought, I may choose to decommit. So for instance, I ran a marathon once and I didn't prepare and, and I, I couldn't walk for three days. I will never run a marathon again. And I wasn't intelligent, but I had given my word. So there's times when I set goals to open a business or do something, and then I get information afterwards and I go, okay, I'm going to decommit from that. The important thing that you do, Joe, is that when you set a goal for yourself, say I'm going to work out in the gym three times a week, that you do it no matter what, whether it snows, rain, or, or you break your ankle, you can still go to the gym and work out your upper body. The message you send to your nervous system is that every time I say I'm going to do something, it's done no matter what. When you do that, your confidence goes through the freaking universe ceiling. Most people, what they do is they go, I'll set a goal, and if things are easy, then I'll achieve it. Jim Rohn says, don't wish for things to be easier, get better. So I have that hard wire to my nervous system is that I will always give it my best, and if I cannot, based on some worthy opponent, then I will decommit. In other words, occasionally I'll decommit and say, you know what, I was going to go to India, for that meditation retreat, but it's a conflict with my sister arriving from Bali. So I'm going to decommit from that and I'm going to go another time. And then my nervous system goes, okay, that makes sense. That's a fair reason to decommit. The caveat is if you're decommitting all the time, oh, I'm not going to work out this week three times because it's raining. And then the next week, well, my sister's in town, so I'm not going to work out. Then your brain goes, next time you go to set a goal, it goes, yeah, bullshit, that ain't going to happen. You're a quitter. And winners never quit and quitters never win. So I wire myself to make happen. And I'm committed to it more for myself than I am for anybody else. Because you don't care whether I go to the gym three times or not. But my unconscious mind is eavesdropping on my conscious mind. And it's going to create a programming for me going into the future. So do I want to take the captain, which is my mind, and empower the crew, which is my unconscious mind? So that I have a crew that works on automatic and drags me and compels me to go to the gym, compels me to make those calls, compels me to stop at every for sale by owner, whether I like it or not, I'm in the mood or I have the time. Yes, I want to do that because that's what winners do. So when you understand that everything's a formula, you just live into that formula as long as you have a ton load of reasons. Listen, I love to fly first class. I love to go to Greece for two weeks and sit on the beach and be served all day long. I do those things because I pay the price of practice in private so I can perform in public later, and then I get to live the life that most people wish they could live, if that makes sense. Is there anything that we haven't discussed as it relates to finding solutions and how to think about it from a psychology standpoint about sticky situations that you wanted to discuss? There's tons of things, but we're on a little call here. So I guess I would just remind people of this one element is 
there are some basic things like the new book I'm writing called your success blueprint came out of the fact that I would coach hundreds of people and I got tired of saying the same things over and over again. So I took the 10 most common habits of successful people that I was teaching people into and I wrote them out and recorded videos and then I let people look at them. And then instead of me having to teach it to them, we could discuss them and we could accelerate things because I always want to hack life and find out how you can do things more rapidly because we don't get our time back. Most people don't know what some of those say the 10 fundamental things are. And if you don't know what they are, then you're probably not getting the results that you want. So I would say it's more important that when you find something like, say, a belief of to be committed and creative, you can achieve anything you want. Take it deep. Deeper is better, right? Take that niche and drive it in until you master it. Teach it. Talk about it. Share it with others. So if this is one situation, for the next seven days or the next 30 days, ask yourself whenever things go sideways, what's great about this? Your mind will say nothing. Ask it what could be great about this. Your mind must come up with an answer. Don't answer this. Two plus two. It answered it. It will come up with an answer. Stop asking why is life suck? Why can I not get the results I want? Why do I not know what to say? Instead, say what could be great about this situation? What could I learn from it? And watch your mind, the beautiful, gorgeous mind you have, come up with amazing creative ideas. Act on it. Physiology first. Move into it whether you have fear or not and watch your life transform. And I would say practicing that, Joe, and making it part of who you are, the same way Stephen Curry practices dribbling with both hands and shooting 500 baskets a day, he is not naturally phenomenal. He's got a talent that he developed. So nurture your talents and nurture this as a skill so you get better. And that's the piece that people get seduced by. Oh, they read a book, they get a good idea, and then they go read another book and they forget to implement the first book. Mm -hmm. So here is about implementation and execution. Knowledge wants to be free. It doesn't matter. You can have all the knowledge. If you don't act on it and make it part of a new habit, you're going to just be the same next year and next year and next year. Yeah, and I love the what's great about this thought process. It's so simple yet can have profound impact on every aspect of our life, not only business, but personal and spiritual and, and really emotional and everything. So thank you so much for sharing that, talking about the three opponents, internal, external, and intimate, the way that you think whenever you are doing things that others might think is crazy, like doing push-ups at the back of the room where lo and behold, you create a movement of people doing it because, as you said, you, you think about or you hallucinate that others do want to join you because, you know, we, we all want to be physically fit or we should want that. But for whatever reason, we have these internal blocks. So if you do things by leading the pack and making it seem like it's okay to do it, then others can join. And so we talked about a whole lot of things. But to wrap up this as far as the sticky situation, when we come across issues, then just think, what's great about this? Okay, nothing. Well, what could be great about this? So asking yourself even a follow-up question afterwards. Thank you so much again, Rock. Hope you have a best ever weekend, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, cheers. Pleasure. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. 
Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.